Turn your Bibles tonight to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Let me read the first seven verses to you as we begin our time. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Beloved, I want to thank you for being here tonight as we're going to be looking, begin to look at this passage together. And as we look not only at this passage, but really as we look at this series here in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, what I want you to glean from this is that this study is really going to present to us the Lord Jesus Christ's vision for the church. And it is my hope and prayer that as we look at His vision, that His vision will always be our vision. It will be our vision because we want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the passage I just read to you is the first of seven addresses. You really could call them seven epistles. These are, there are seven short epistles that Jesus dictates to the Apostle John to write down for him to be sent to these seven specific local churches. Thus, these passages are just as important as the epistle that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, or the book of Philippians that we've been studying on Sunday mornings. These seven verses that I just read to you are another epistle that was delivered to the church at Ephesus. And as we go through them, what we will be seeing is what Jesus so longs for and desires and wants in the church. And he will reveal it to us by what it is that he commends and by what it is that he condemns. And as I said to you last week when we were continuing to introduce ourselves to this series from Revelation 2 and 3, that Jesus is the best, the best person to do this when you realize his authority in the church his affection for the church and his ability or his aptitude in regards to the church that no one else in this world comes close to Jesus when it comes to authority and affection and ability. So we want to hear what Jesus has to say. And as we go through each of these messages together, each of these epistles I want you to be asking yourself several questions. One, 
I want you to be asking yourself as we go through it, how am I doing personally as a Christian and as a member of the church? But two, I want you to be asking yourself, how are we doing as a church together in regards to what Jesus is sharing, what Jesus is saying? But thirdly, I want you also to be asking yourself, what, if anything, do I personally need to do differently? Or what personally do I need to do more of as I look and see what Jesus is commending and what he's condemning? And then finally, what, if anything, do we need to do differently as a church? Or what is it that we need to strengthen and encourage more of as a church and what we see here and what Jesus is going to share here in Revelation 2 and 3? Maybe another way to think about it is, is that if Jesus was to have the Apostle John write us a letter, what would he say? What would he say in regards to what he would observe in these areas that he's going to speak to in these seven epistles? Which means he's really calling on us to take inventory of our lives as Christians, as members of the body of Christ. And he's calling on us to take inventory even as a church. Now, I want to just kind of walk you through these seven verses because really for five of the seven, there's the same outline in each of these epistles. And let me just break it down for you into six parts. And they're all going to focus on Jesus because the church is about Jesus and the church is to focus on Jesus. First off, in each of these epistles, there's going to be what I call Jesus' audience. Jesus' audience. That's what we have there in verse 1 where he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. Secondly, you're next going to have Jesus' attributes. His personal attributes. That's what, again, you have in the rest of verse 1 there, which speaks about him being the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Then thirdly, what you're going to typically have then is now Jesus' assessment, his assessment of each church. And it's going to start with, as you see there in verse 2, what he knows. I know. This is what I know. He's saying, here's what I assess about you as a church there at Ephesus. Then after that, if he finds that there is something lacking in a church, and he will in five of the seven churches, the next thing he will give is what I call Jesus' answer. What is his answer to what the problem is in the church? And we'll find that. It'll be pretty consistent throughout. In verse 5 is where we find it, where he says, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. Repentance is going to be key in the answer that Jesus gives when he assesses something in a church that he doesn't like, that he doesn't want there, or if he assesses something that needs to be there that isn't. He's going to call on the church to repent. 
And that will be consistent throughout these epistles when he finds something that is not quite right. Then after his assessment, after his answer, he will give each church, Jesus will give an admonition. And that admonition will usually take this form as you look again back in verse 5 where he says, or else. He gives them the answer. The answer to the problem that he sees is to repent. And then he gives them an admonition. If you don't repent, here are the consequences. His admonition for them to respond as he calls on them to respond. And then finally, when you look down in verse 7, you'll see a common theme, and that is Jesus is then his appeal to each church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. That will be consistent throughout all seven epistles that we find here in Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus appealing to them. Well, he's appealing to those churches that are doing things right and he doesn't find anything to say to them that is wrong that's going on in the church. He's going to be encouraging them to persevere and he's going to be appealing to them to persevere in doing what is right. So that will be the common outline as we go through these seven epistles. So let's go back for tonight and let's just look at verse 1 together and let's look at Jesus' audience and Jesus' attributes because these are very significant for us in understanding what Jesus is doing here in each of these epistles. Let's start with his audience. Notice again, he says, this is to the angel of the church in Ephesus right. Now, if I was to ask the question of you tonight, who was this letter for? Many of you would probably say, well, obviously this letter was for the church at Ephesus. And you would be right. That is true. That what he has to say here was to be read and delivered to the whole church there at Ephesus. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 11, whenever Jesus begins to speak to John there, remember what he says, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. And the first church that he mentions is the church Ephesus. So yes, these seven verses were to be delivered, read, studied, preached, talked about, fought through for the whole church there at Ephesus. And not only that, he is calling on the church here to respond to what it is that he's sharing. But notice carefully, again what I read. He says, this is, he says, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. And that's what he will say. This will be the common audience in all seven addresses. And by angel there, he's not talking about angels as we tend to think of them. He's not talking about like the angels that appeared to the shepherds out in the field when Jesus was born. The word angel there can also refer to being a messenger being a representative of the church. 
And even more carefully here, when Jesus is saying, I want you, John, to write this to the angel there of the church in Ephesus, he's really saying, I want you to deliver this to the representative of the leadership of that church. That this angel, this messenger, is there representing the leadership of the church at Ephesus. Now, if you recall, beloved, there is an established leadership in the church at Ephesus, just as there was an established leadership at all seven of these churches. If you will, for just a moment, uh, go back with me to the book of Acts and go to Acts chapter 20. Go to Acts chapter 20. And you remember when the Apostle Paul was traveling and he was trying to get back to Jerusalem. And he was on his way to Jerusalem because he wanted to get there in a timely fashion. He wanted to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, he says in verse 16. And he says there in verse 16, he had decided to sail past Ephesus. So he's not going to go visit the church at Ephesus again. So instead of going to visit the church, he says in verse 17 from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of that church. Now when you read through the whole passage, what you will see there is that the elders of the church were really the overseers. It was the pastors of that church. There was a plurality of elders or a plurality of pastors that were there at the church at Ephesus that were serving and leading this church. Remember, this is who he's speaking, about, speaking to there in verse 17. And notice what he says to them down in verse 28. Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. See, elders were overseers. Overseers were pastors. And they were there to shepherd the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. They had a responsibility, this leadership had a responsibility to oversee the spiritual condition of the church there at Ephesus. This plurality of elders there at this church, this plurality of pastors that had been established there. And so what you say, well, where did they get these men from? Where, where did they come from? Well, remember this. What, what, is the, what is the book of the Bible that we tend to go to when we're thinking about the qualifications for a pastor? It's 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. We'll look over in 1 Timothy for just a moment. And look, remember 1 Timothy chapter 1 and remember where Timothy is. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says to Timothy, as I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. And so he's there at Ephesus and what Paul is telling Timothy to do in chapter 3, because remember, what what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy in these opening chapters is here's how you conduct yourself in the household of God, as he says in chapter 3 and verse 15. In case I'm delayed, I'm writing to you, here's how you know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. And then what are the opening verses of chapter 3 in 1 Timothy? He's saying, if there are men there in the church at Ephesus that aspire, have the desire in their heart to be, and notice the word that is used there, aspire to the office of overseer, pastor, 
elders that are there in the church. He says, that's a fine work he desires to do. But just because a man says, I feel called to be a pastor and a leader in the church, it doesn't stop there. He says, now look at his character. Look at his capabilities. Look at this man in his life. This is where this body of believers and of leaders and of elders or pastors that had come to be there in the church at Ephesus. In fact, Paul, remember this is what Paul says to Titus. Go over to chapter 1 for a moment. Titus chapter 1. Remember whenever Titus uh, in the area there of Crete and he can't get back there right now. And he says in verse 5 to Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete. For what reason? That you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. That is, he, he was asking Titus to do the very same thing that Timothy had done and was doing there at the church at Ephesus. Because if you read through the rest of it, again, you see similar qualifications that he gave to Timothy he gave those same to Titus. And so there was this established leadership there at the church at Ephesus. And just again, just to show you this, just to remind you of this, turn back for just a moment to the book of Acts and Acts chapter 14. Go back to Acts chapter 14 for a moment. And in Acts 14... Now, we know the ministry of Paul. Paul went on three different uh, apostolic missionary journeys, going out, proclaiming the gospel. And when he did, he was establishing churches. Whenever, whenever there's a group of people that would get saved in an area, that became the church. But notice something. Look down with me. Uh, go down to verse 21. He says, after they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, then they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. They're returning back to cities they've already been, where they've already preached the gospel and where churches had been founded. And they went back there in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Having prayed with fasting, they commended them in the Lord in whom they had believed. And so what I'm telling you here is that when we read in these epistles, these seven epistles in Revelation 2 and 3, when he's speaking to the angel of the church in Ephesus, he's speaking to someone who was there, yes, representing the whole church, but primarily he's representing the leadership of that church. He's representing the leadership of that church. And that's significant when you think about it. Because as we read there in Acts chapter 20, what did Paul say to those men that he called to himself from the church at Ephesus? He says, you have been given the stewardship of overseeing the church. Looking out for the spiritual condition of this church. And notice, they just had responsibility for that church. Because the pastors and the leaders and the elders, the overseers... 
that were there at Ephesus, they did not have the responsibility of overseeing the church at Philippi. And remember when we read in Philippians 1.1, when Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, he says he was writing this to all the saints, including the overseers and the deacons. And those overseers and deacons in the church at Philippi did not have the responsibility of overseeing the church at Ephesus or overseeing the church at Thessalonica. They had the responsibility of overseeing the spiritual condition of the church there where God had placed them. You see, because this responsibility starts first with the leadership. It's interesting when you look over in First uh, Peter chapter 5 where Peter is exhorting the elders there of the church to shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd them. But that comes, he says, therefore shepherd them. But what came right before that is where he was talking about judgment begins with the house of of God and who are the first people he then mentions after that it was the leaders it was the leaders I'm reminded of what God said when he was speaking through the prophet Ezekiel and God was telling them that he was going to be bringing down judgment on them. And in Ezekiel chapter 9 and verses 1 through 6, he's speaking about the judgment he's about to bring on the people of God. And he says, and start with the elders. You start with them. That's where it starts. This is why... Though this letter that we see here in Ephesus and all seven of these letters is intended and to be applied to the whole church, it primarily or its priority starts with the leadership of all seven of these churches. Thus to be a pastor, a leader in a church is sobering. It is a serious calling. That God is placing men in leadership in the church. And in so doing, He's giving them a stewardship of caring for His church. Shepherding, overseeing. Jesus here is holding the leadership of the church at Ephesus responsible for the condition of the church. The things that are good and the things that are bad. He puts the primary emphasis on them because he knows that's where it must start. That's where it must start. And what we're going to see, beloved, this, this, it's been, I'll just tell you, rich to my soul and, and reading and thinking through this because, especially for this church here at Ephesus, because of all the seven letters that, and epistles that Jesus is going to give to John to these seven different local churches, the one church that we have the most information about in other parts of Scripture is this church, the church at Ephesus. Most likely, as some think, the mother church of all the others. That is, it was from the church at Ephesus these other six churches were planted. And because as I look at it, what, I, what you're going to find is that how serious they had taken some things and how some things they did not and how we can be so guilty of that ourselves even as a pastor 
where we latch on to certain aspects and this is all that we want to focus on and not focus on this other area. Because what we're going to see running throughout this epistle here in these seven verses, what we're going to see is a pursuit for truth and a pursuit of love. Pursue truth is what Jesus is going to be commending them for. I'm commending you, Ephesus, because you are a church that has been pursuing truth, that is practicing the truth, and the pastors, the preachers, and the proclaiming of the truth, you have been faithful. But when it comes to pursuing love in the church, I have something against you. And what's interesting, when you go back, and you look at it, you will see that these are things that have been addressed to them. Where we're going to get to go back and read in the book of Ephesians where Paul spoke about them that at the beginning he says, I hear about your faith and I hear about your love. That you have love for all the other saints. You are a loving church. And now, some 30, 40 years later, later, see, whenever Jesus is saying this to John and he's writing this down, this is now 35 or 40 years after the church had been founded. So a generation or two has gone by. It's not to say there aren't some that are still there. But just think about it. This church is now 35, 40 years old. And when Jesus is now looking down at them and he's assessing them, he sees you still be pursuing truth, but you've stopped pursuing love. But he's holding it back, starting with the leaders and primarily the pastors, those elders of this church there at Ephesus. Beloved, that's why every pastor, every leader, in any church has to have the attitude that the Apostle Paul speaks about over in the book of Galatians where he says, I am seeking the favor of God. I am striving to please the Lord, not man. This applies to a, a leader's pastoring. It applies to his preaching that ultimately he is striving to please God. But beloved, this isn't just to be the attitude and the approach and the application just for the leadership. It is to be the attitude and the approach of all the Christians in the church at Ephesus. That we want to please Christ more than anyone else. And this is critical. It is critical that we have that attitude because, beloved, as we walk through this epistle and as we walk through the other epistles, so there are some things that are going to be very challenging, very convicting to all of us, including me as your pastor. There will be a weightiness to what it is that we will learn from these seven epistles. And it is a weight that I know that even as a pastor that I must bear and that we must all bear. I'm reminded of what Jesus said over in the Gospel of Luke in Luke 12, 48, where he says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they have entrusted much of him, 
They will ask for all the more. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God among you. There there will be some things that will be challenging and convicting. I know to my heart and all of our hearts and our lives as we're working through this, I know also, as I I think about the implications of what Jesus is saying here, whereby he is addressing the one who is representing the church and representing the leadership of the church there, that it is my responsibility not to shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, as Paul said to those elders there at the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. It is my responsibility, as Paul said to to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season with great patience, endure and fulfill the ministry God has given you. Be faithful. This is what you see here in Revelation 2 when he says to the angel of the church at Ephesus, that message and those implications are or for all seven epistles. All seven. But now notice something with me. We go back to Revelation 2. And let's look for a moment, because they're very critical, at Jesus' attributes. What he highlights about himself as he speaks to the church at Ephesus. And I've broken these down into several attributes of Christ in regards to the church. First, I want you to notice his position in the church. Notice his position in the church. That is, he is the one who's holding. That idea there of holding is a strong word that speaks of his authority. It speaks of his sovereignty. Jesus is saying here, I am the one who has the sovereign authority over the church at Ephesus. But not just the church at Ephesus. Notice he says, this is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now who are the seven stars? Well, thankfully we don't have to guess about that. Jesus himself tells us that. You go back up, look again in chapter 1, look in verse 16. When, G, when John turns around and sees Jesus who's standing there, he, he sees him that in his right hand he'd held seven stars. In verse 20, he says, As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And we just talked about who are the angels of the seven churches. The angels of the seven churches are the men that are there representing those churches and representing the leadership. And Jesus is saying, I have the sovereign authority and position in the church. Not even the pastors or the elders or the leaders or the deacons or anyone else has the authority in the church. Jesus is saying, I hold the authority in the church. In all churches, that's a common theme. His position in the church. 
But notice, I want you to notice also his power in and over the church because notice where he's holding these seven stars. He's holding them in his right hand, which represents his power, his control. Jesus is saying, I am the one who is to have ultimate control in the church because of my position and because of my power. You see, that's something always as a pastor, I have to remember, he's the great shepherd, I'm just an under-shepherd. So I don't get to go off and just do whatever it is that I want to do. And that's good for all of us to remember that. We don't just get to go off as a church and just do whatever it is we want to do. Jesus is the one who has the power, the authority, and the control and the rule in the church. It speaks about his position. It speaks about his power over the church. But notice, now if you look at the next phrase, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands is the one that is speaking. Let's start with the golden, the seven golden lampstands. Again, who are these? Well, again, we don't have to guess. Go back up to chapter 1, verse 20, and Jesus has already told us that the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. So they just represent the seven churches. But as Jesus is describing them as golden lampstands, in that description, he is actually giving us his perspective about the church, and he's giving us his purpose for the church. You see, we see his position in the church and his power over the church and that he holds the seven stars, the leadership in his right hand. But now when it comes to the church at large, he wants you to understand how he perceives the church and he sees it as golden. And it is golden because it is precious and valuable in his sight. Jesus values the church. He sees you. He sees me. He sees us as a church. He sees you individually as a believer in Christ as precious and valuable to Him. So valuable as we spoke about last Sunday night, His affection for the church. He's the one who laid down His life for the church. He identifies with the church. But not just his perspective, but notice also his purpose for the church. He says we're the golden lampstand. And a lampstand was something that was to shine in the community, shine to those around them. So his purpose for the church is that we are a witness to the community around us. And that witness is not just talking about going out and sharing the gospel. He's saying we're to be the golden lampstand in this community. That what this community is going to see and hear and receive from us, that when the community looks at us, what they're going to see is we are people who are about the truth, holiness, purity, love, compassion, mercy, grace, forgiveness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. That's what they will witness from us. 
You see, that's the purpose. Our purpose here is to glorify God, glorify Christ, to be that lampstand in this world, in this community here in Gina where we are. That's his perspective. That's his purpose for the church. But finally, another attribute would be his presence in the church. He is the one he says, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, if you look back in chapter 1 for a moment, go back up to chapter 1, just go back to verse 12, where John turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So he saw the seven churches, and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. And he goes on to give a further description, and this description is about Jesus. So notice there, he says, Jesus here, when he looked and looked at him, and he saw seven golden lampstands, what he also saw was Jesus standing right there in the middle which is a reminder of his presence in the church. But Jesus doesn't just stand. Notice now he says, I'm the one who walks. I move about. And he's just reminding them of his presence and that in his presence he's able to observe and to be aware and evaluate and critique the things that are going on in the body of Christ. He moves, he sees, he observes, he knows what is taking place in every church, in every body of believers. Jesus knows right now what's going on here at East Gene Baptist Church just as much as he knows what's going on over Temple Baptist Church. First Baptist Church, any other true church, he knows what's going on because he's present. He's there observing. He is always aware. That's why we can take confidence that as Jesus walks among the seven churches, what he has to say to them in giving his assessment of them, as we will begin to look at there in verse 2, where he says, I know, he knows perfectly. He knows perfectly. And beloved, as I thought about this, I was interested just in John's initial response when he began to see Jesus and who he was and in the glory of Christ. In verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, I fell at his feet like a dead man. When I saw him, I fell at his feet. And in some sense, beloved, I think that should be our initial response to what it is when we look at what Jesus is saying about his position and his power and his presence and his perspective and his purpose for us as the body of Christ here at East Gina Baptist Church. There should be a reverential fear and awe of him. Something I'm sad to say in so many churches today is lacking. 
Little reverence, little respect for God among His people because it shows in their life. It shows in their preaching. It shows in their worship. But also, even though John fell down as a dead man, I also take encouragement in what Jesus did for him. In verse 17, he placed his right hand on me. He touched him. And he told him, don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid, John. And beloved, if we truly know Christ as our Savior and Lord, though as we go through these epistles, there may be a sense and there should be a sense of reverential fear and awe of who Jesus is and what He may be pointing out. But beloved, in that sense, we just need to remember that He's just calling on us as the loving shepherd and Savior to follow Him. Just to follow Christ. So let me just encourage us with these two reminders. One, that as we go through this epistle and the other six epistles, that we will just respond in reverential obedience and awe and fear of Christ. Remember what John says over in chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. And we're going to see some of the things that are written in it here in chapters 2 and chapter 3 that we are blessed if we will read it. And we're going to read it. And we're blessed, as he says there, those who will hear the words of the prophecy. But also, if we will heed it. As we're talking about on Wednesday nights, there in the book of James, in James chapter 1, Blessed is the man who's not just a hearer of the word only, but a doer of the word. Oh, beloved, take encouragement. If we will read and hear and then heed what Jesus is saying. But secondly, as we walk through these epistles, as I say, as I'm already studying through things there in the the church at Ephesus, there are some challenging things that Jesus is saying. Challenging, convicting. And he's going to issue it in a way with a sense of urgency for the people in each of these seven epistles to respond. And though it is a sense of urgency in doing what it is that Christ calls on us to do, Please understand that as your pastor in shepherding you through this and shepherding my own heart through this, that this is something that not only just through this series but in things to come, we will have to patiently teach through these things and then graciously and lovingly and tenderly lead and walk through these things together as the people of God. Beloved, I pray that you will leave here tonight with a heart that is focused on what Jesus is saying here. I hope you leave here tonight with this application in regards to it being primarily to the leadership of the church that you are praying, that you leave here with the commitment in your heart to pray and to pray 
for me. Pray for the leadership of our church that he will always give me, give us this kind of attitude, this kind of approach of maintaining what it is that Christ is talking about. That you leave here with a desire in your heart knowing that Jesus is serious about this and saying in your heart, I'm going to hold the leadership accountable for this. To listen, to hold us accountable to this. And to hold each other accountable to this. To listen to what God is saying, what Jesus is saying. Leave here with a heart that says, Jesus... You're the authority. And you love us. And you love me. And I know you know what's best for me. And I know you know what's best for us. So Lord Jesus, help me to receive your word and respond to it in loving obedience to you. That's my prayer as we leave here tonight. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.